people think accessibility is expensive. People think that it's super niche and that there isn't a demand, yet everyone knows someone who needs it. So to and one in five Canadians are living with a disability. So tell me how that's not needed. Hello, and welcome to Real Estate Investing Deal Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeremy. The Deal Deep Dive offers lessons learned from Canadian investors while scaling their portfolios. If you're looking to scale your investments, listen to stories from those who have already been there and what they did in your shoes. Lindsay, Shane, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us again. So we talked previously about accessible living based off the tenant perspective, but I did want to talk about accessible living based off the investor perspective. First of all, what is accessible living and why should investors think about it? Shane, do you want to take that? Yep. So, you know, we talk about accessibility and and the demand for it. There is there's a need for it because there's just not nothing on the market currently right now if we're talking about Edmonton. And when we talk about accessible, you know, there's there's different ways that you like we've talked talked about earlier is that it doesn't always have to be fully accessible. It can be just mobility friendly or or barrier free, but for accessibility you know what 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 we see is being able to go let's say the outside of your home or from the vehicle into the house either using a ramp or or using a lift and getting into your home not having to have any help from anybody being able to do it by yourself being able to enter the home being able to to move around your home freely without having too many issues that way and you know, there's certain ways that you can do that by having your doorway 36 inches wide so that you can have your wheelchair access, being able to come in and not have to hit your hands as you're wheeling in. You know, what what we know and and have found through experience is that a lot of people with the issues or disabilities, they don't like feeling any more different than, than anybody else. So if if we can make a home or if people can make a home more accessible where they can do it by themselves, then that's going to be our end goal. No one likes to have that extra lens on them for lack of a better word. So being able to, to enter your home and, and move around your home freely on your own is, is ideal for anyone that's wanting to add accessibility to their property. And, and like I was saying earlier, there's no, there's a huge demand for it in Edmonton and there's going to be a growing demand for it as well. So we don't see it going away. We see it growing as time goes on. Why would it be growing? Well, as as you look into stats through through provincial websites and in Stat Canada, you'll see that and just common knowledge of the baby boomers, you know, they're retiring in the next five to ten years. But we don't want to just because everyone thinks seniors when you think accessible, which isn't the case. There's people with mobility issues, seeing issues or vision issues, you know, just for pain related pain-related disabilities. Early onset is 45 years old. That's only nine years older than me. Not to not to age me and Lindsay there, but um, vision disabilities common to start around 35 years old. You know, I'm 36, so I mean, it's not it, it's not just for seniors, but just you know, looking at at that kind of stat, and then looking at how the baby boomers are to be retiring in the next five to ten years, it, it's going to grow. Canada stats are anticipating that the senior population is going to grow to 10.4 million by 2037 so all that added up 
you know, Lindsay and I really feel like it's going to grow more so as time goes on. And yeah. I think we need to add in there that people are planning differently. People are purchasing homes differently. People are renting differently and they're planning for the future. And on the overall perspective, our health is not getting better as Canadians. It's getting a little bit worse from younger ages, right? So we have to think about children with different disabilities. We have to think about multi-generational families, especially when we talk about immigration and cultures that really plan to live as multi-generational units. There's a lot of different perspectives to that. So the other piece is, is that right now people are making do with what they have, but we also know that many, many people are not going to put up with that for long. So people are demanding differences. So just for, just for an example, you know, I was looking at Airbnbs the other day. I was looking in the Edmonton area. I need to be in town for a meeting and I had a thousand plus homes that were available to me. And the second that I clicked on any accessibility feature, whether it was doorways, whether it was the bathroom, whether it was the bedroom, which are the options in Airbnb, it went to zero. And so this is still quote unquote niche, which I hate, but people right now are doing things word of mouth. They are making do with what they have. Whereas when they find something that meets all their needs, they are snapping it up. There is no question that they want things that will work better for them and they are willing to pay for that. So as an investor, we want to consider, you know, what does that bring to the table? What benefits does it have if you're meeting someone's needs, creating that win-win? And that can be social impact. It can be economic, right? And I'm sure we'll get into kind of the numbers and pieces of that, but there's a lot of advantages as an investor and as a landlord. If there is that much demand and such low supply, how likely is it that people are going to be moving quite frequently? They won't. That's one of the biggest, one of the biggest draws for me as an investor is that I can really search. So there's a lot of people who want it, a lot of people who need it. So A, I can search through those people and find a quality tenant. And that tenant, once their needs are met, are not likely to move. People don't like change. And when everything is going well, and they have tried over maybe years, maybe decades, we don't know, to yeah. find places that meet their needs, they are not going to give that up easily. So we want to also build into our rentals, into our investments, ways that allow them to grow. So things that are adaptable, things that can be progressively made better for them. And if we start really well, if we, if we build in the foundations of accessibility, barrier-free design, universal design, and those three things are all a little bit different, we can actually grow with the tenant and keep them even longer. Now, I know we touched on those three terms over on our tenancy video. Would you be able to just explain them rather quickly here for the investor? For sure. So accessibility lives on a continuum. So it is more specific to the actual need of the, the tenant or maybe the person using the lived environment. So it can be something as simple as, you know, having wider doorways in different spaces. It can be all the way up to fully quote unquote barrier free which would accommodate, should accommodate almost all people with different abilities, right? So we're talking about, you know, someone in a wheelchair versus somebody who 
has bad knees or like Shane talked about, maybe has a vision deficit or has a pain related condition. So it's a very wide spectrum and there is need in all of the spectrum. So for example, I am renovating a home and I am not making it wheelchair accessible. I'm calling it mobility friendly. So you could use a walker. It would be easy for someone who, you know, maybe has some pain, different things like that. So it's going to have a ramp, which is not always the best option. So I don't want to throw that out there, but in this particular case, it is. So it has a ramp. Everything is on one level. We've opened up things. We've brought up the long stairs. You know, we've really looked at kind of what are those basic accessibility needs? Then one step up is barrier free. That's what our codes are built on. So for example, we're looking at barrier-free design in public spaces. We're looking at barrier-free design if we're designing a really well-made ramp or a well-made lift, if we're renovating a, a bathroom for wheelchair accessibility. And then one step up of that is universal design. There's seven main principles to universal design. And when we follow the principles of universal design, which I highly encourage, it's going to open up the most possibility for the most number of people. So when we design universally, we are looking at how does it serve more people? So anyone with any ability. So it could be a child to an adult, to someone with full mobility, to limited mobility. Very cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So if there isn't currently enough, we're, we're going to stick with rentals here just for a moment. If there isn't currently enough rentals, what are some of the things that people should be thinking about when they do want to make accessible rentals? I think the way to hit that, and Shane, maybe you can talk about the solutions here, but I think we should hit the myths. People think accessibility is expensive. People think that it's super niche and that there isn't a demand, yet everyone knows someone who needs it. So, to, And one in five Canadians are living with a disability, so tell me how that's not needed. And people are thinking you know, that it's, ne it's not going to be me. Nothing bad is going to happen to me. Nothing, you know, we all think that. Yet the likelihood of something happening to us in our lifespan is highly likely. So Shane, when we talk to investors, you know, what do we usually tell them about these benefits? Well, first off, one in five Canadians are living with a disability is, you know, one thing that always pops up to mind and always educating on it, not just being seniors that need accessible. In Edmonton, you can look at Airbnb, you can look at RentFaster, you can look at Kijiji, and you can look for accessible rentals. When you actually dig down into the listings, you'll see that most, the ones that are saying there is availability for accessible rental, it is a condo or an apartment that has the elevator. That's it. Ramps on the main level, but once you get into the unit, there's nothing accessible about it. And, and it's such as if you're traveling to Edmonton, just for example, like Lindsay is going to be going to Edmonton a Sunday and she just wanted to see if there was anything available on Airbnb, nothing there as well. So when, you know, when, you, when we talk to investors, like um, we did a webinar about this last month too, and it was great because we, it was a lot of good discussions. We had lots of different investors and, and that's the main point of the webinar that we did for, for function sake homes is we want to educate people. We're not trying to, we're not trying to sell anything. We want to open people's eyes to the opportunity there because this sandbox is very big and we're, we're not big enough to fill that sandbox, that demand for the lack of a better word, this is only going to grow. And we're always willing to share anything we know about it with other investors, because we think more people should be, should be looking at this. 
So one thing, for example, Jeremy, is that, and some people look at this negatively, but you can charge a premium for accessible rentals due to supply and demand, particularly if there's a place for someone who works from home or do they work? Are they on a fixed income? You know, there's absolutely a need. And when we do a cost comparison to any of the communal living spaces that are supported, so seniors living centers, assisted living, supportive living, even if we are charging above market rent, we are still charging below what the cost of living is at any of the communal living centers. And that's once we've taken food and and stuff out. So when we're looking at apples to apples, also there's the autonomy of living in your own home, right? So that's a huge draw for tenants and should be a huge draw for landlords because these are people who take pride in their home. These are people who want to be alone. They want to be doing things, you know, maybe in their yard, whether that's raised garden beds, they want to be out and about in the community. They might be our age. I know, I know you're younger, but our age, and they might be a working. So there's a lot, there's not a lot of places that accommodate families, couples or families that have someone living with a disability. There is huge tenant retention, which is going to decrease your turnover cost. There is extra funds available from the government. If a tenant is in place and you're doing a value add based on accessibility in the home. And then there's other things like deferred maintenance costs that are actually, you know, it might be a tiny bit more upfront cost, but we're actually going to see a return on investment each month in deferred maintenance coming down and our expenses coming down. So that might be things like when we hardscape a outdoor living space. Who needs to mow that lawn? Nobody, right? And that's a, a landlord fight constantly is pick up your dog poop, mow your lawn, shovel your walk. Well, if we have a heated sidewalk, which isn't as cost prohibitive as people think, or if we have a hardscaped front yard or a low maintenance front yard, we've just saved ourselves a cost of money for maintenance, different things, but also headaches, you know, emails, calls trying to get contractors in to do these things, trying to fight with a tenant to do these things. So you can really make things quite easy for yourself. So you're winning back in terms of costs and in terms of time and in terms of good, good long-term tenants. So if that's a long-term buy and hold for you, I don't know about you, but to me, that's a sweet spot for it. Yeah. And just to put things in respect in perspective for costs for independent living in Alberta in Edmonton specifically, if you're looking at a one bedroom unit, you're estimating around twenty nine hundred to three grand a month. And if it's a two bedroom, you're looking at thirty nine hundred a month. If you're looking at supported living in Edmonton, which is a little bit more little more need basis. So, you know, it's housekeeping meals, all those kind of amenities you're looking at four grand as well. So if you're looking at it as an, through an investor lens, you know, you can have the upstairs rented out at a premium. You can also have a legal basement suite where that family might want to give like just for example, you might have some parents that have a child with disability. He wants, he or she wants his own space. Well, if you're looking at paying another mortgage, like three to four grand in assisted or supported living home, you can have them rent out the top level of this home 
at a premium, but it's a lesser cost than what they would be paying sending them to assisted living and also be able to provide a caretaker in the basement or just renting it out to someone else that that, that doesn't need accessible living. So you're still going to be saving off, saving money and being better off that way, opposed to sending them into a community setting that not everyone wants to be in. So there's just there's little little areas like that that maybe people might be overlooking and and like Lindsay was saying there's you're gonna have more opportunities than not when you're adding or when you're providing accessible rentals and at the very least if you can't find someone you're always going to be able to rent it out with the already low and drop in vacancy rate in Edmonton as like a, a exit plan almost in a sense yeah there's no reason it can't be a traditional rental especially if it's done well, universal design should be, should be as close to invisible as possible. So when we're looking at, you know, our backgrounds, they're both beautiful space. I think anyone would be happy in this kitchen or this bathroom, right? Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. And I, I love how you guys are talking about the, what I call comparative cost analysis, whether people are thinking it subjective, like, uh, at the forefront of their minds, they're thinking, well, what does this cost me versus what the other option costs me? And if getting a nurse or somebody to help somebody with a disability is going to cost six to $7,000 a month to let them stay in their own home versus finding a new place to live that only costs them $100, maybe $200 more to, to live there for rent or even on as a mortgage payment, that probably is an incredibly strong draw for them. So I'm I'm really glad you guys brought that up. Well, and this is something that I know you've done, Jeremy, essentially, sometimes you can use this as a version of house hacking, you know, for that investor or for that, you know, there's always a sublease, different things. If, for example, the, the main floor we keep talking about, if you rented that for someone who has accessibility needs, and then you could rent the basement to anyone and part of their lease could be checking on the person upstairs, just checking in once a day. Um, the beautiful part about Alberta, particularly is that we have the public health care system and we have things like home care in most towns in our province, especially in the cities, but also in the towns. And so, you know, for example, in my little small town of 7,000 people, you can have home care up to four times a day. So, and that's, that's at no cost, right? So we need to look at what that looks like in that comparative analysis. Very true, very true. And I'm actually glad you brought up house hacking. The government of Al or government of Canada, let me rephrase, actually just released a new grant for multi-generational homes. I'm curious, could you use that in order to make accessible living in a property? Why not? Why not? Like, I, I'm not familiar with the criteria on the project, but why not? 100% when they're looking at multi-generational housing, they're looking at density increasing the density in the smaller spaces. They're also looking at trying to keep people in one place. So the Americans call it aging in place. So you'll see that a lot on Google. So an aging in place specialist, for example, would be somebody who's looking at accessibility from that perspective of how can we build it for now, but also plan for later. And that is a, exactly the same mandate as the government when they're introducing grants or money. Like they also have a newer program for indigenous housing as well that has just opened up for application and it there's a an accessibility component that can be accessed there as well 
And then of course, you know, I know you two are very familiar, but maybe others aren't the MLI select program through CMHC, which is for multifamily builds of five units or more. You know, we did this analysis in our, in our webinar, Shane, maybe you can speak more to that, but you want to look at the sweet spots. You're going to want to build a six unit versus an eight unit. If you're going to use accessibility in your MLI select, because at six units, you only need one unit to be accessible to hit your points and your criteria um, to get those really idealistic terms, you know, for loan to value, for amortization, those sorts of things. But if you bump up to a seven or eight unit building, you have to have two units that are accessible. Now, I'm happy to build two units all day long, but if investors are wanting to quote unquote hedge their bet and have mixed use essentially within their multifamily, you, you could look at MLI Select from that perspective. You can have accessibility, you can have traditional rental, you could have short-term rental and all in the same in the same build. And if you stack those together, that'd be fantastic. You could have accessible short-term rentals in a side-by-side -side to a traditional rental, like whatever you want. You just have to get creative and you have to spend your time planning and connecting with or hiring someone who has knowledge and accessibility because it can be daunting. So it's the same for me. And I think maybe for others, when I'm looking at sustainability and building green, it's just because it's a language I haven't dived into, but I can talk accessibility all day long and someone else can talk affordability and somebody else can talk sustainability. So if you bring your resources together, you're going to, and spend your time planning, don't rush you're going to commit with a better product that will give you multiple exit strategies, higher rents, higher cash flow, and a better overall product and experience for your tenants, which is always the goal. Well, and especially when you talk about MLI Select, like not not to discredit anybody else that's using MLI Select for affordability, but with this boom coming to Alberta and rising rents are already occurring, that's not something that we're really looking at at this time, locking in rates, even if it's only one or two units of the of the multifamily building. We're looking to sustainability and accessibility when we are going to utilize the MLI Select. And you talk about other ways adding value through grants, the RAMP program, the residential access modification program, which is available in Alberta and is for tenants and is a multi-year grant that you can use. It's capped at 7,500 per year, but this is a way that you can work with your tenant or tenants to add more renovations, to add accessibility renovations to your project. And it's not only making them happier to stick around longer because it's being their forever home, which was what is what our, our goal is to make it their, their forever home. And it also provides value for the property as well. So it's, it's a way of creating a win-win there as well. Yeah. So sorry, just to kind of, so people know more about that residential access modification program, that's Alberta specific. And you would need someone like an occupational therapist to go out and assess the area, which is fine. We need to define your needs. Then you're going to have two contractors come and give you quotes on what does that look like? But for example, we can renovate a bathroom, which is one of the most expensive renovations in the home. Also one of the biggest return on investments in the home when you renovate. So you can come in and create a beautiful bathroom that is universally designed or barrier-free designed or accessibility designed, whatever you want to look at there. I would suggest shoot for the stars, right? We're always thinking about who's going to be next into that space as well. So 
universal design is optimal, but you're going to end up with a beautiful bathroom. You can do nice finishes. They don't always have to be super basic. They don't have to be top end, but you could have a beautiful bathroom that is extremely functional for everyone. And it's being paid for by, by your tax dollars. I don't, I don't know the, the lose in that situation. I haven't identified one yet. Getting some money back in taxes directly so I can make more money in investment. Sounds like a pretty strong win. I thought so. But you know, I'm just, I'm just an OT. I don't know. I see people who move out of their house every week because they can't get into their bathroom. Like, come on, we can, we can do better. We can make changes and we can allow people to have amazing spaces that are functional for them. What kind of strategies would you recommend investors can use for accessible living? What real estate investing strategies? Yes. I would say in Edmonton, just the long-term rental buy and hold is a good strategy that is needed because there is none in Edmonton right now. But as well, if you're in the short-term market, especially on the west end of the city, I would say with all the travel that comes to the city that goes to our Great West Edmonton Mall, not my favorite place, but for a lot of other people, they love going there and it there, there is no opportunities to rent an accessible short-term rental. So I believe one of those, depending on what you're comfortable with, some people don't want to play in the short-term rental space. Some people just want long-term buy and holds. It's kind of just whatever suits your, suits your plans or your goals. I'm going to go long-term rental. I'm going to go short-term rental, huge need in the short-term rental, particularly around the medical centers in the urban centers, short-term rental, maybe not as much in the smaller communities, but absolutely long-term in the smaller communities. I love rural. That's where my heart is. Rent to own, massive opportunity, especially for people who are on fixed income. That can be a huge win-win. I also want people to think about kind of the, I want people to think about the emotional side. When we're talking about sales and about people purchasing or buying, selling homes, there's massive emotion tied into that. As investors, we try to stick to numbers, but if you're competing against traditional buyers, home buyers, you're going to compete against emotions, right? So you have to also use that on the flip side, use it to your advantage as an investor, but use it to create a win for you and any possible tenants. So what about using AFS on a home that potentially someone's moving out of because they can't live there any longer. There may be no, no left. It might be straight seller financing. And when we tell people that we are trying to build accessible rentals, they automatically want to help us because their mother, their brother, their cousin, their neighbor needed something like that. And they want to create what they wish was there for their loved one or for themselves. Right? So that's a huge piece is to connect with people over that and create a win-win situation for yourself. Never taking advantage of, but creating that, that helping perspective. The other thing that's huge in the States, and I have to look more into it, and actually we've connected and we've been asked to kind of help with some American occupational therapists who are investing in real estate as well on sale leasebacks. So sometimes they're a lifetime lease to someone until they absolutely need to leave their home or they pass away. Uh, and then you have purchased that. It's almost like an option plus like a, a seller finance plus an agreement. You know, there's many different ways to do it. And the States has different rules than us. 
but you can get as creative as you want. I actually cannot think of an area of real estate investing that you cannot use accessibility in. Mixed commercial use, commercial, multifamily. I I can't think of something that you cannot use accessibility or universal design within and increase both your social, your social impact as well as your economic benefit. Very cool. Very cool. You did bring up two terms that I would like to define really quick. What is AFS and what is rent to own? Rent to own would be when somebody is paying rent on a property and you can do a property first or tenant first. So I would, I would think tenant first, you can find somebody who wants to purchase a home. Maybe they don't qualify at this point. For example, they might be on a fixed income. Their credit might look not amazing, whatever that looks like. You're going to help them by purchasing a home you know, rent it out to them. And then on top of their monthly rent, you're going to charge what's called an option on top of that. And essentially over a set period of time, that option is going to define their down payment. And you're going to work with a mortgage broker and your tenant at the end of X number of years that they are again going to transition into ownership of that home. So essentially you've sold your property five years in advance for a set price and you've started to create that down payment for them through option. So as soon as they pay option, that option is money in my pocket. And if they default on that, they decide they don't want to purchase that property or they leave, that is money that they have put towards, you know, towards me and I get to keep that money on top of the rental. So we're looking at a traditional rental plus an extra. So that's really helpful especially because once that's there, we can choose a home that's suitable to them that maybe we can value add in accessibility. So increase the, the value of the property, right? That's going to be helpful to me as a, as a landlord or as an investor. And then AFS is agreement for sale. So essentially that's where we agree on a purchase price of a home and a set period of time over which I'm going to take over all responsibility and costs for that property, but the title is remaining in their name. And there's, there's a legal way to set that up. So everybody is safeguarded as well. So at the end of a certain period of time, then title transfer is going to take, take place over to me. And so that might be a way for somebody who can't finance or who needs to get out of something quickly because they can't stay there. And maybe their market in their small town is not amazing. Maybe homes don't sell quickly. You know, we could use that as well. Sounds fair. Especially for flexibility too. If mortgage isn't up for renewal for three more years and you're locked in at say 2.1 or 2.3%, say you locked in at a very good rate. Well, you can, you know, as a rental, you can hold in that nice rate, have a higher cash flow, opposed to buying conventionally right now at a higher rate, which will affect your cash flow. So it's, I think it's something that, and I think you feel the same way, Jeremy, that's going to be heavily utilized over the next two years. Absolutely. And it, one of the things that I actually learned in school, as I'm currently studying real estate at university, financing actually does have a play onto property value. And there's a really complicated way to figure that out. And I'm not, not going to go into it in this video, but uh, it does definitely play into how much you can purchase the property for. Yeah. 
So before we get any farther though, anybody who is interested in that seller financing, please go take an actual course. It is very complicated it, it, from a legal perspective. It is very complicated and it has a lot of parties involved. So please go take a specific course to learn about seller financing as we're not experts. We're not professionals in the seller finance realm. And we do want you to get proper education on the topic. Yes. Use professionals professional accountants, professional lawyers, professional people in real estate to do those things. Let people work in their zone of genius. Mine is accessibility. Shane is accessibility. Everybody else has their own zone. Now you've talked about vacancies. You talked about tenant retentions. You talked about higher rents. Why else should landlords and investors be looking at accessible living? It's a good question. Well, I think we've touched a little bit on funding and grant programs. So I think Canada put out the Accessibility Canada Act in 2019, and they are the Fed, the federal government is pushing for a barrier free Canada by 2040. So I believe, and Lindsay believe, that as time passes and the clock starts to run out, that the federal government will lean on the private sector a little bit more and will provide more grants, more funding. And um, that's going to lead to more opportunities to utilize benefits to being able to add accessibility. You know, there's, I don't know if there's more of an opportunity than there is right now, but it's, it's, it's hard to think that it's going to grow more and and you know there's we've chatted with some people that really really resonate with what we're doing and we've had other people who think that it's too niche and that there isn't a demand for it but i think the proof is in the pudding and as time moves on and aging in place for lack of a better word is going to happen and and it's going to be more evident but Lindsay, maybe you can speak more to that i just i think like the main like when i'm looking at numbers and stats that's what i'm looking at i'm looking at the demand that's in the area what what opportunities are currently there what people pay when they're not in a rental like an assisted living or independent living I look at the vacancy rate you put ghost ads out there to see how many people respond you talk to other investors and and that's kind of what i all look at so I have two more things to add to that so one is a personal kind of case study. So I purchased a property in Pinocchio, Alberta in March of 2021. Unfortunately, oh, I think I'm frozen. I'm going to leave that for a second. Come back to me, guys. Oh, there you are. Okay, so so I purchased a property in Pinocchio in March of 2021. It was a probate. It was in probate. Someone had passed. Their sister was selling it. So absolutely, it took a while to run the deal from, I believe it, we started it in October and then moved forward. And then in April, we had a death in the family. So that was my mom. So I have started and stopped on this renovation property. So it's a burr and we're, we're coming up on March of 2023. Sorry, I purchased it in March of 2022. It's only been a year, not two years. And so we're making the top mobility friendly. And in the basement, we have a, a basement suite. And literally, I kind of put out feelers in order to kind of put my numbers together back in that spring of 2021. And I had to stop telling people about the project because we had too many people who were lined up to come into this and at much higher rates than I anticipated at the time. And so I kept kind of testing that out and talking to people. Now I was in a good position 
to be able to do that and talk to different people who were in need of accessibility, you know, within my role in the community. But I don't put up my rental. I don't talk about it in town here because we have too many people wanting it and it's not finished yet. So it should be finished within the next couple of weeks, which I'm really excited about. And we have raised the rents over that time. Even with interest rates rising, we have kept our cash flow the same or grown in our projections. So I'll follow that up in the future and let you know if that's truly what happens, but I don't see it, it dropping. And then the other piece is, is marketing. So marketing can be a large cost for a real estate investor if they want to go that way. But what is niche to some is targeted marketing to others. So when you go ahead and type into Google accessible housing, insert your community there. If you're the only one coming up, bingo, you get all the applications, you get all the tenants and you can have your choice, right? So SEO is not as big of a problem or search engine optimization. So if you use the appropriate terms, accessible, barrier-free, universal design, barrier-free and universal design are pretty, they're pretty high-end terms. Accessibility, most people have a clue, right? So you're going to be able to do targeted marketing to a much more interested group of people for a much lower cost and pull in much higher quality leads into your lead generation funnel to then fill your tenants or tenancies or to create leads for a rent to own or to fill a short-term rental, right? Those things are going to be very specific. So when you get people coming in, they are interested in that. You don't get the tire kickers here because there's just, someone's not going to tire kick on accessibility, right? They might come to an open house. that's all beautiful and bougie and whatever, but if somebody needs accessibility, they're going to search for that and they're going to be interested. So you cut out a lot of the extra crap that you usually need to deal with in terms of vetting tenants, in terms of doing lead generation, and in terms of that search engine optimization. 100%. And I'm really glad you brought up the idea of that funnel. The funneling is probably one of the easiest ways to actually make a business out of something because you have things coming to you. That means you're not spending time out looking for things actively. Things come to you, you set up the funnel initially and everything else just gets put into place. That makes life so much easier when you're not actively out there trying to find something. As a business owner, a three, I, technically we own three businesses. If you're chasing leads, you're doing business wrong. 100%. It's fine to get started 100%, but absolutely there's the growth period but yeah yeah once you're set up you want things coming to you sounds good is there anything else that you guys wanted to bring up for investors who are considering investing in accessibility i think we need to let people know that it's not as expensive as they think so it's hansen foundation so if you don't know who rick hansen is google that not going to educate you. Y'all should have learned about that in school. <laughs> He's a Canadian icon. But the Rick Hansen Foundation states that it only costs 1% more to create an accessible living space than not. And the Canadian government is using the Rick Hansen Foundation's criteria as the gold standard. So those are some of the criteria that are used in that MLI select, for example. I think that we need to think about how would this benefit you or your family? Like make it personal to you and see would that fit in 
people in your life in their journey. Because then you're going to be far more likely to look further, to make creative solutions, different things like that. So bring it home. You know, as investors, we look at numbers, but I want you to also look at that social dynamic is going to be a huge piece. Do you want your grandma going into the long-term cares that we're getting the absolute nightmare reviews during COVID? And that's no, that's no like knock on our healthcare professionals. They're just burnt out, right? So, you know, what does that look like? And then lastly, I think the other thing I want people to think about is how can you harm or you won't do any harm by learning more, right? So if it's something that you know nothing about, maybe it's something you should take a little bit of time to look into and see, does that match your core values? Does that match your vision for what you want your portfolio to look like? Do you want diversity in your portfolio? Well, hundred percent, if you're looking at a multifamily portfolio, you want diversity, you want some stability, you want some, I guess, yeah, I guess stability and diversity would be the main two pieces, different exit strategies, then you're going to want to, how do how can you build that into your current portfolio? And what does that look like for you? So like we said, MLI Select is one way. Jeremy, we were talking about before, you know, some of the older multifamilies are not going to be great to change into accessible. But remember, accessibility is on a continuum. Can you even just make all your main floor units better? You're going to get different tenants, longer tenants, better tenants. Who may stay there longer. Oh, way longer. And they're going to be happier. They'll give you reviews. They won't harp on you as much. Yeah, absolutely. A happier tenant is always a better tenant, right? So that's going to be, to me, that is an absolute KPI or key performance indicator is my satisfaction of my tenant because it's going to indicate how much time and money I'm going to spend on that tenant. And the less time and money invested in a tenant for issues is going to mean a bigger profit margin on the other side. And the opportunity cost, because you can go and spend that time and money looking for more leads to grow your business too. Bingo. So those leads are coming to you. They should be. Jane, anything else to add? No, I just would say, you know, you can find, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram and we haven't made a LinkedIn account yet, but we're going to, and we're very open to hopping on a call or meeting up with anybody that wants to learn more about accessibility. We're always looking to chat more about it and share the knowledge that we have and really spread that value that way because there's a lot of opportunity there. So I think it's kind of a team effort needed in this regard and we're not holding our cards close to our chest. They're on the table willing to share with anybody. So always happy to have a chat. Sounds good. And I love how if we do actually get enough investors, Jane, I believe you mentioned over 10 million Canadians are going to be in that seniors kind of category here in the next couple of years. One out of five Canadians currently are living on some or living with some sort of disability. This is clearly a very huge demand all, all the way across the country. And we need a societal shift almost in order to help people stay living in their own homes so they don't have to go and live in assisted living and cause more of a drain on that healthcare system. 
Well, it's, yeah, like that's one thing we never really touched on too much. It's not just a Canada or it's not just an Alberta problem. It's not just a Canada problem. It's a North America problem. We've had chats with some ladies from the States that are occupational therapists and it's the same thing over there. So it's not just, it's not just Alberta. So it's a kind of a team effort that needs to work at this. Growing trend for sure. Lindsay, Shane, thank you very much. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having us.